A warm welcome to you doing church at home with Riverside Online, especially if this is your first time. Also, if you are new, we would love to connect with you, so please share your contact details with us on our website. We know that there are many needs out there, both physical and emotional, and we would love to be able to help where we can. So if you have a need or you know someone that has a need, pop on over to our website, follow the link, and someone will be in contact with you. There will come a time when we can do communion with one another again, but thankfully for now, we can do it together online. So make sure that you've got your juice and bread to join us. I know that we have an insightful sermon coming up, so let's watch. Hey everyone, we as a church are busy going through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is preaching a revolutionary sermon that is designed to change the world precisely because what he's calling us to is to live upside down, to live differently, to swim upstream when compared to the world around us. Now, I don't know about you, but often when I look at some of the ways that the Bible is calling me to swim upstream, it often feels like I'm being called to give up something. So here's the world having so much fun, having such a good time, but now I'm a Christian and I must give all of this up for following Jesus. But here's what we need to figure out whenever Jesus is calling us towards him, is that he has greater fulfillment in him for us than anything that we look for in the world. And so we need to come right in our thinking that when Jesus calls us to live upside down and swim upstream, he is for us and he is for the world as he lives through us. Now, this is especially true today because today we're going to talk about one of the greatest areas that if you get right, I guarantee you, you will live a happier life, you'll live a more balanced life, you'll live a holier life. And when I say holy, I mean we're going to, our lives are going to look more like Jesus. And just to remind you that people who are not like Jesus liked Jesus. So I think our lives looking more like Jesus is a good thing. So we're going to live a happier life, a healthier life, a more balanced life. And we are going to have greater influence in the lives of the people around you. So let me tell you why. The verse that we're going to get to today is probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. Except it's not quoted in the sense of, here's what I believe, here's my faith, here's how I can love people. Usually this verse is quoted as a form of a defense system. Now, we're going to get to the full context in a second, but let me show you how often this verse makes it into conversation. So maybe you're at work or you see something in a friend or a colleague, something that troubles you, something that worries you, something that concerns you about their behavior or their decisions. And so you go up to them and you have this very careful conversation with them and they come back to you saying, but Jesus says, do not judge. Now, I actually think this verse may even be one of the most quoted verses by non-Christians. Because if we happen to speak to some of our non-Christian friends about something we're concerned about, they would come back to us saying, but your Jesus says and your Bible says, do not judge. Now, here's the thing. People hate being judged. I hate being judged. And I know that you hate being judged and yet judgment for us comes so 
easy. It's like such a default setting for so many of us. And Christians are so good at this. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but do you know that the judgment that comes from Christians is one of the top three reasons why people don't want to be a Christian? I wish more people wanted to engage the evidence of the resurrection or the historical reliability of the Bible. But for some people, the main reason why they don't want to be a Christian is because they've met some. And I know that hurts, which is why Jesus confronted this idea of judging and judgmentalism head on. So before you click and skip the sermon, let's hear what Jesus has to say and let's see how we can align our lives with Jesus and live upside down ways with regards to the culture around us. So Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 onwards, Jesus says, do not judge. Those are only the first three words of the rest of the passage. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrites! First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now with that lovely picture, let's see what Jesus has to say about this. I don't know if you've ever experienced being on the wrong end of being judged. Maybe you feel like you are judged wrongly or judged unfairly and for that reason maybe your impulse is to say well yes we should never ever judge now we're living in an interesting moment especially during this time of quarantine and the coronavirus where almost everything we say especially online can be received as a judgment and sometimes even as a hate speech so is Jesus saying we should never judge I mean, what if you're a parent and you see your children making dangerous decisions? Are you not to judge in that situation? Or what if someone that you know, someone who is dear to you, is making poor decisions and being unfaithful with the marriage and wrecking families along the way? Are we not to judge? If anything, Jesus, in a few weeks' time, as we go through this passage, he's going to speak to us about false teachers that are coming away. And so, of course, he's calling us to evaluate and to make a judgment. And so we're going to see that Jesus is not calling us to abandon discernment and making sound judgments on issues here. So to find out what he is saying, let's talk about five guides that are going to help navigate us towards what he wants for us. And the first guide that comes out of this passage is this. Jesus is against hypocritical judgments. Jesus is against hypocritical judgments. If you've been journeying with us, you'll remember a few weeks ago, we learned what the word hypocrites means. You see, at the time of Jesus, there were these acting parties, these bands of actors that used to go around and perform in the towns, and they were called hypocrites. One of the main qualities of how they acted was with masks. So Jesus takes this idea of a hypocrite, a masked actor, and he says, guys, when it comes to your faith, do not be like that. You see, when you wear a mask, you are portraying 
reality A hiding reality B. You're portraying reality A hiding reality B. So in this particular context of judging, he's saying be careful about portraying this idea that, you know, with you and God, everything's okay and you're sorted out and, and morally you are 100% okay and that gives you the right to judge others. When in reality, reality B that the mask is hiding is you're a mess. Maybe some of your behaviors look okay, but your heart's a mess and, and your motives are a mess. And so Jesus says, don't be like those hypocrites. And therefore, what you really need to do is sort out the plank in your own eye first. What you really need to do is sort your own life out first. You see, here's something that I think we tend to do, and maybe I'm the only one. But when it comes to judging other people, we tend to have a bias towards law. But when we judge ourselves, we have a bias towards grace. So when it comes to other people, we've got this bias towards law. Did you see what he said? Did you see what she wore? Did you see how wrong that was? And we hold people to these standards. But when it comes to us... We give ourselves grace because we say, but listen, you've got no idea what else is going on in my life. Or if you only knew me 10 years ago, yes, what I did yesterday wasn't great. But 10 years ago, it was far worse. I promise I'm improving in this area. Or maybe you say, listen, I got it right 99 times. You just happened to see the one time that I got it wrong. And so Jesus is saying, get to work on yourself before you get to work on others. And this is actually so powerful. Think about this. Imagine every single time you're offended by someone or, or hurt by someone or, or saw a fault in somebody else. Imagine you took out the time to go to God with that issue and say, Lord, listen, I've just seen A, B and C in person, A, B and C. Do you see that in me? Or you went to a friend and we said, listen, this is really bothering me about this situation or this person. Do you see that in me? Mature, wise, loving friend. And then imagine you invested the appropriate amount of time to hear from God as he reflects his heart back to you. And that you actually spent time and efforts and the discipline receiving grace so that God can work that plank out of your eye first. So instead of judging that man for being a bad father, you went to God and said, Lord, I know I'm also a bad father. Help me be a better father. Well, instead of judging her for being so self-righteous, you went to the Lord and said, listen, went to a friend, do you see unrighteousness in me? If you do, oh Lord, take that plank out of my eye and let's spend the time that it is required for that to happen. You see, this is what Jesus means when he says, take the plank out of, out of your own eye. Work on yourself. Guys, we're talking about blind spots. And here's the thing about blind spots. They're like body odor. We smell it in, in others before we smell it in ourselves. So Jesus is against hypocritical judgments. The second guide for us is that Jesus is against superficial judgments. Later in the book of John, chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says these words. He says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Stop judging by mere appearances, what you see with your eye, maybe a first impression, but instead judge correctly. 
Now what's going on here when Jesus says these words is that Jesus had just healed someone and a lot of the people were concluding therefore that Jesus has a demon and Jesus says no stop judging by appearances you are coming to the wrong conclusion you don't know what's going on so judge correctly. Now maybe you listen to that story and like well I will never do that I'll never think Jesus has a demon except we judge by appearances and we judge superficially all the time. We've got the story in the Old Testament about David and the time came for a new king to be elected and God spoke to the prophet Samuel and said listen I'm going to direct you to the family of Jesse one of his sons is going to be the next king. So Jesse hears about this and he lines his son up, except he had a younger son, David. He didn't even put him in the lineup. Why? Because he was too young. He was too soft. He was too fresh. He was too new. He didn't know what he was doing. Spent too much time with the sheep. Spent too much time playing the harp. So it can't be him. Whereas his older brothers, man, they were men. They were burly men. They fought like men and they ate like men. Surely one of the next kings must be one of these guys. And as Samuel arrives there and sees all of these strong gladiatorial looking men standing there, God says this to Samuel. He says, listen, Samuel, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God said to Samuel, listen, the one you're looking for is David. He is to be the next king. You see, people... Look at outward appearances. People make judgments based on the outward appearances. People make superficial judgments. Now this works itself out in so many ways. Let me tell you about one of them. See, Paul writes to young pastor Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.24, and he says this, The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. Can you see what he's saying here? He says, some people's sins are obvious. When you see them, you see their sins. Whereas other people, their sins trail behind them, meaning you cannot see their sins. Now, this works itself out in the church so often. You see, some people's sins are obvious. They say a naughty word for everybody to hear, or or they get drunk, or they have an affair, or they make a total botch of their social media platform. And we see that, and therefore we get to judge. But just because people sin differently to you doesn't mean that you don't have different kinds of sins in your life that you need to deal with too. You see, the sins of others, as verse says, trail behind them, meaning they're hidden for all sorts of reasons. And especially in the church, we've got kind of two categories. The sins we see, the sins therefore we judge easily and quickly. And then there's the acceptable sins. The sins we've accepted in church, the sins we've accepted in culture. But here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible, when it comes to these sins, puts sins like greed on par with adultery. And put sins like self-righteousness on par with thieving or, or disunity on par with gossip. And so we need to be careful if our judgment is based exclusively on other people because we can see their sins and we come to these superficial judgments. Whereas beneath the surface there's maybe so much more going on in their lives and our lives too. So Jesus cautions, cautions us. Against superficial judgments. He has a third guide for us. Jesus is against Christians judging non-Christians. So where do I get that from? Well, listen to what God's word says in 1 Corinthians 5 verses 12 to 13. Paul is writing again to a church into a very uh, painful context. And he says, 
What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So now when we get to this first question, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? What do you think the answer is? The answer is, it's none of my business and it's none of your business to be judging those outside of the church. And so someone who's seeking or, or someone who's looking for answers or someone who doesn't believe the things you believe comes into church or comes into your home or comes into a life group or you engage with them at work or whatever and they say the wrong words and they believe the wrong things and they don't have the right Christian handshake and the right Christian knees. And what do we do? Well, we judge them. Now, maybe we've moved past saying something, so we've got something we've perfected as Christians. And of course, I'll say this sarcastically. It's a disapproving stare. So we use the disapproving stare to shame them. I don't know if you've ever been to another country. And if you haven't, just imagine being in another country where they speak a different language to you, have different customs to you, and eat different foods to you. Now, imagine they judged you according to their language, ways, and customs. You would respond saying, but that is unfair, right? And so God says, do not judge those outside of the family of faith the same way we are to hold one another accountable. Now, even if, even if you manage to take your friend who's not a Christian and you manage to get them to change their behavior around you because you're a Christian, while that may be good intentions, think about what the subtext of that is. The subtext of getting your friends who do not follow the same God you do to change their behavior around you because you're a Christian, the subtext of that is this. Change yourself before you come to God. Change yourself before you come to God. What you have preached is a moralistic religion, and that is in exact contradiction to the gospel of grace. Getting someone to change their behavior before they come to God is like finding someone in a car wreck, stitch yourself, clean up your blood, sort yourself out before you go to hospital. Whereas the gospel of grace is, listen, you need to get to the point where you realize you have nothing to offer, where you realize your best morality falls so short of God's holiness, where you realize you need God above all other things and you come to him empty handed and then he gives you everything. He gives gives you himself he gives you life and he gives you salvation both for this life and the next that is the gospel of grace and so we model this gospel by taking this guide very seriously that we are not to judge those outside of the faith by the standards of the faith so now our first three guides have been how Jesus is against certain patterns of judgments but our fourth guide is going to be something that Jesus is for. And Jesus is for loving restoration. Jesus is for loving restoration. Going back to the passage we read today in Matthew chapter 7. What qualifies someone to be able to speak into somebody else's life? Well, Jesus says, if you judge someone, you're going to be judged the same way. And also, if you judge someone trying to deal with a speck in their eye, be careful you don't have a plank in your own eye. Therefore, deal with the plank first. In other words, take responsibility for your life first, the things that are wrong with your life first. And then he says, then you will see clearly. You will see clearly and then you will be able to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. 
That is so powerful, right? See, once you have gone through everything it takes to deal with this plank in your eye, suddenly you are in a very different position to deal with other people's struggles, right? There's a verse in Galatians 6, which I love. I love it because it just shows us God's heart and it gives us so much wisdom when it comes to this conversation. Paul writing to another church, he says here, Brothers, if, if someone is caught in a sin, listen to this, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. So if someone is caught in a sin, give them the disapproving look and, and judge them into heaven. No, if someone is a caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should what? Restore them gently. Oh, but Stephen, I'm spiritual. I pray and I go to church. Therefore, I can do that. Well, listen, Paul's writing a whole letter. We've just read from chapter 6, verse 1. Paul, in chapter 5, has just defined what a spiritual person is. He describes someone who uses different terms here. Someone who lives by the Spirit. Someone who walks by the Spirit. And we get to some very famous verses in chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, when he says, listen, someone who is spiritual, someone who is living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, they're going to display some fruit in their lives. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. And so if someone is caught in a sin, think about someone dealing with you like this. You want someone who's going to deal with you with love. You want someone who's going to bring joy into a situation. You want someone who's going to bring the peace of God into your situation. You want someone who's going to demonstrate patience kindness and goodness and faithfulness they're going to be committed to God and committed to you verse 23 someone who is gentle someone who demonstrates self-control in their own lives just think how powerful it is if someone like that had to come into your context of sin and brokenness to restore you gently with these qualities Paul is saying that is the ideal situation for transformation now, Jesus absolutely wants the church to be a place of transformation. Yes, a place where we are accepted, but a place where we are also transformed. A place where our hearts are truly renovated. A place where sin does lose its power. And so how do we do this? Well, we do this by starting with ourselves. Now, let me tell you. I mean, there are things in my life where God has been speaking to me and it takes time. I mean, you can ask my wife, there are things that trip us up in our marriage that have been tripping us up for years. And so God is still working on these things in our lives. So this takes time. This takes humility, intentionality, accountability. But then as people start winning, as people start experiencing God's grace and transformation in their lives, as that log loses its power in your own life, suddenly you're in a position to help other people, right? Because you are positioned to be mature in their lives. You're positioned to not just show them what is wrong, but to lead them and walk with them towards what is right. Jesus wants the church to be a place where people, mature people, growing people, new believers, seeking people, feel the freedom to take the masks off and reveal them their true selves. And I long for churches around the world and I long for our church to increasingly be that kind of place. And that's why this passage is so important. 
So how do we do that? Well, we do that by number one, not judging hypocritically. Number two, not judging superficially. We do that number three, by Christians not judging non-Christians. And number four, we do that by lovingly restoring people in their places of failure to places of life, hope, and future. Now, as we wrap up and start heading towards the communion table, which we're going to do in a second, I want to talk about the fifth guide. And the fifth guide is the one that guides us towards the gospel, and it is this. Jesus was judged in our place. Jesus was judged in our place. So so whether or not you've got a tendency to be judgmental or whether you feel like you've been judged unfairly, this is the guide that changes us the most. To remember the gospel, to remember that Jesus was cast out so we can be welcomed. Jesus was despised so we can be accepted. Jesus was judged so that we do not need to fear judgments. Everything you've been judged for, everything you've ever judged others for, the sin in your life and the sin that you see in other people's lives have all been paid for by Jesus. Listen to this powerful verse, 1 Peter 3 verses 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to bring you to God. You see, one day we will be judged. And I know that sounds offensive to those who may be outside of the faith if you're still watching. All right. But when you see what's all that's wrong in the world around you, don't you wish that there's a moment of accountability? Well, we as Christians believe that. We call that the day of judgment. And everyone will be held accountable and judged. And that day will come. But when we get judged, for those of us who are in Christ, we get to point towards the cross of Christ where the righteous died for me, the unrighteous. Imagine you go to a restaurant and at some point the waiter comes over to you and says, So I just want to tell you that the family over there at the table, they paid for your meal in full plus a tip. You'd be so grateful, right? Now imagine you're about to leave and another waiter came and said, well, sir, you haven't paid. Here's the bill. Well, at that point, you get to say, no, no, no. My bill plus the tip has been covered in full. And so when the day of judgment comes and our sins are held up before us and our motives and our failures, when we realized, when we realized the full cost of that, We get to point towards the cross of Jesus Christ and we get to say, but my sins have been paid for in full and therefore I do not need to fear judgments. So we're going to take communion together. And if you're a Christian, this is an opportunity for you to think about your own heart, to think about your own sins and failures and perhaps how you think about the sins and failures of others. And you get to remember at this time of communion about the righteous one who died for you, the unrighteous. But if you're not a Christian, and and, and if this is something new to you, and, and you're still watching, we're so glad that you're still watching. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to reflect on who God is, any misunderstandings you've had about Him, and to realize that you can come near to God, and you do not need to fear judgment. Because of the God who died for you and paid the price in full. So we're going to take communion together in a second. But before we do that, let's open up in prayer. Father, we know we've fallen short and we've played God in judging others. 
and we confess that to you. And as we take communion today, we recognize that Jesus has paid for our sin in full and he forgives us and loves us. And therefore, we do not need to fear judgment. So let us start with the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken for us. Let us eat. Now we're going to drink the cup, a picture of the blood of Jesus shed for us, paying the price for our salvation. Let us drink. Let's pray. Father, we don't only look at the cross. We look at the risen Christ who is with us and in us. So help us this week to be a better picture of you to one another and to the world around you. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Please do stay connected through social media. And if you've missed any of the previous sermons in the series, they are all on our YouTube channel, Riverside Community SA. I pray that this week, the Lord will bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Stay warm, stay healthy.